The best way to learn a language? Immersion. Living where the language is spoken and using it every day. But if that's not in the cards this year, you can still learn a language the second best way. And that's with Babbel. Be a better you in 2024 with Babbel, the science-backed language learning app that actually works. Don't pay hundreds of dollars for private tutors or waste hours on apps that don't really help you speak the language. Babbel's quick 10-minute lessons are handcrafted by over 200 language experts and help you start speaking a new language in as little as three weeks. Babbel's designed by real people for real conversations, and their tips and tools are approachable, accessible, rooted in real-life situations, and delivered with conversation-based teaching, so you're ready to practice what you've learned in the real world. Here's a special limited-time deal for our listeners. Right now, get up to 60% off your Babbel subscription at babbel.com slash bluewire. That's 60% off at babbel.com slash bluewire, spelled B-A-B-B-E-L dot com slash bluewire. Rules and restrictions apply. You're listening to Wins Above Fantasy, part of the Pitcherless Podcast Network with Van Burnett, and Steve Giswelli. Welcome back, everybody. It is Wins Above Fantasy, episode 82. Today's Friday, December 30th, which means we got the New Year's festivities upon us, and that's going to weave in nicely with our fantasy New Year's resolutions. I'm Van Burnett with the returning Steve Giswelli. You guys can follow us on Twitter at Wins Above Pod. I'm at Van underscore verified, and Steve is at Stav8818. Drafts are getting underway, Steve. Uh, I missed you last episode with Mendy on, and it is great to have you back. It's going to be a great show. How's it going, man? I know. That's two two guests that we are planning on doing a a three-way episode that that I've missed now. So uh, unfortunate timing there for me, but, you know, I was talking off air. I was basically sick the entire month of December. Uh, Better now, but, uh, you know, it was... uh, it was a rough few weeks. Uh, being sick with a, a newborn and then getting sick yourself is is, is no fun. Uh, do not recommend that whatsoever. But did you did you have some time off or did you just power through the whole work from home thing? So, so you know, Lauren kind of used her whole sick time to you know uh, up front to be with the baby. So we had to use some like emergency sick time there. I had to use a few of my off days. Uh, to get in there, so we, we basically did what we could. We have a lot of help uh, locally, so we're, we're able to to scramble there, which was nice. Because um, December and snowmageddon's aren't stressful yeah, enough as yeah, it is, yeah. or, or having a, a baby. The holidays and all, yeah. all the family, yeah, it, it, it was no oh, fun. Man. It was no fun. Sorry, but, but, Steve. Formal show apology. We're through. Yes. We're through it now. Well, we're gonna have we're gonna have a great uh, you know distraction here. Kind of the chaser to the shot on uh, if we're getting into some some partying terminology. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's it's exciting, Steve. I I, kn- I don't have any drafts. I gave your name a search on the NFBC site and didn't see that you have any nope. drafts in the bank. But it feels, at least to me, that I'm not that far away. I'm starting to look at rooms. I'm starting to you know basically start the start the budgeting process. And today is going to be a great episode for that because it's basically saying, here are all the things we want to take into draft season and the the season of managing in general next year. 
Super excited about it. Where's your head at right now, Steve, in the off season and with this show topic? With that, you know, month I basically spent on the IL, it kind of was like a reset. Like, you know, normally uh, I, I, I'm I'm caught up on every single pitcher list article, every Fangraph article. I'm writing a few articles, but obviously this year it's a little different, having a, a six month old at home and then basically being sick for for two weeks. So it was a nice little mental reset, but. Now I'm I'm like really ready to go, and I actually do have a draft coming up next week. Um, the on the wire uh, listener league. Uh, I signed up for one of the relatively early drafts. Uh, I believe my draft starts January fifth. So like exactly what, you know, a, a week what from slot? now. What um, I think KDS. So like the the Kentucky gotcha. Derby style locks. This Friday, so I have to do. Uh, I have to do that. That's actually a really good reminder. Uh, mm-hmm. So You're going for like the six, yeah, yeah, five like talk, through nine, or like six we talked about, and, and like we talked about uh, uh, on the mock draft recap, and like I talked about with Nick on the mock draft pitcherless mock draft recap episode. Uh, that that's the sweet spot. I'm gonna go like you know six to ten in, in that kind of order, uh, and then maybe like you know. Um, one, two, three, four, kind of. Um, uh-huh. it, it followed, you know, th- the rest of the way. Um, or maybe maybe reverse style. Uh, I, I think I kind of prefer the double up at the end of the draft rather than the first pick. So, um, yeah. But that that'll probably be what I'd be doing for for most drafts. Yeah. But excited, got an, an actual real live draft, and going in a little bit colder than I normally do, which I think might be a good thing. Sometimes I feel like, especially early on, you can be a little over informed. Uh, <laughs> yeah, stay loose. Yeah, you know? yeah, yeah like exactly, a, exactly. Yeah, freshman in the March Madness yeah. tournament or yeah. something. Just yeah. leave it all out there, Steve. Yep. Yep. Uh, I next Saturday. I have my annual home league banquet for my commissioner duties. And uh, for any new listeners, this will be year 22. So there's a lot of fine-tuning of, of the rules, but it's a lot of fun. You get the, I get the PowerPoint skills work in and do you know the, the recaps and the, the keeper eligibles and all that stuff and the rule changes. So at the very end of that, we draw the draft order. And we have like a, bar, like a back room of a bar – they got the the slideshow projected. So that is kind of my formal kickoff. We hand out trophies. So after that, I'll be fully locked in on prep mode and everything. But uh, right now, it feels like we're close, and we get closer every week. So I'm excited. And I don't think we have a formal date on this, but the, the Dynasty startup that we – or I agreed to and then, and then looped you into. Uh, oh, yeah. Uh, I think there, that was – talks there were that this would be in January so we kind of avoid main draft season since it is a dynasty startup so that'll be fun that's my first ever like formal dynasty league so um, we may have to get a non-formal podcast uh, zoom session going and, and, and do some homework there uh, but excited for that one as well as well with a bunch of awesome people from picture list uh, which is which will be exciting I can't wait. And honestly, Steve, I don't even remember. Are we co-managing that? Or is oh, that yeah. Separate? Yeah, we're, we're, we're co-managing that one. It was yeah. going to be Adams that we'd be yeah, separate. Oh, yeah, well, yeah, yeah the yeah, co-management's yeah. great, man. Yeah. It's a formal bond. Yeah. All right. Well, enough of, of all that. Let's give the listeners what they're looking for here, and that is the, the New Year's resolutions. 
And Steve, I think we can play this loose. Obviously, we want to sprinkle names throughout here, but this is a little bit more theoretical. And, you know, part of this for me was was looking back at some of our lessons learned from 2022 because we did a show about that a few months ago in early September. And now it's also looking ahead and kind of we have a better feel of the draft landscape. We've done some mocks, so on and so forth. So why don't you start us off with your first uh, New Year's resolution for fantasy and then we can kind of ping pong from there. So I, I think I've hinted that this at this uh, basically on every off-season show, or at least most of them. But I, I want to go into twenty twenty-three. Right? We're, we're going to twenty twenty-three. Wow! Yeah, uh-huh. that's yeah, uh, yeah. that is that, that is crazy um, to say it out loud. Um, but I want to go in with a more open mind uh, for just overall strategies in general. Like I know that I've. I've hammered, you know, don't take starting pitching early, you know, don't draft a catcher early, things like that. And I do that basically in every single draft. But I want to be more open-minded and sort of let the draft fall to me because if you do, you know, I follow those strategies for a reason. that They're good. I have had success with them. You know, plenty of people in the industry talk about them. It's not like I've reinvented the wheel or anything like that it's it's common it's not a rocket science here but i feel like sometimes because i'm that guy that punts pitching i need to do it just because that's who i am and i don't think Uh that's a a good way to i i think you could miss values right like if there's a if there's a a top five starting pitcher that falls to round four like i should take that like just because I don't want to take a starter that early doesn't mean I shouldn't if there's a value there. So I kind of want to let... Add, so yeah, let me yeah, jump sure, in real ahead. quick, Steve. Because I totally get where you're coming from. If if there's a value, if it falls, it's worth kind of you know grooving your draft to accommodate that. But I think the caveat I would add is if there's a value and you, you like the guy because... <laughs> I have also become prisoner in past years of uh, like Brian Dozier or Eddie Rosario. Like these names stand out because I remember they fell several rounds and I was like, why is no one taking them? And then eventually I was like, oh, well, I'll pass up on this guy that I really wanted at 150 because Brian Dozier should not still be here. And then he has a clunker of a year. He was buried in my util slot. So like part of me has to wrestle with that like sure. devil's advocate. Uh-huh. No, that that that's that's fair. I think that you shouldn't just take a guy because he fell. I think it's more if there's a value here and it's an obvious pick, you know, don't just stick to your quote unquote strategy or 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 how you approach every draft. You know, it's okay to color outside the lines a little bit it no strategy has to be set in stone essentially like there's no sure. textbook answer for every single pick like every draft is different and i think that sometimes i've gotten so bogged down in what i want to do and what player i want to take where that you can kind of have blinders on so don't be blinded by your strategies i guess is is my first new year's resolution yeah that's a it's a great point and and Part of the reason I'm trying to talk through this as well, Steve, is I think throughout some of the 
the notes in this episode even. I want to make sure because yeah. because I've got a few where I'm like I'm definitely doing this of here. Of course, but I but I told like to me that's an approach and it's kind of funny. It's a New Year's resolution. Like maybe this goes to show the old saying like "Do as I say, not as I do." Because I know full well that some of these ones that I throw out there, I'll probably break a, a rule here or there, just like we do with you know. No ice cream uh, on weeknights or something with the New Year's resolution. Like sometimes you break these, but it is an approach. And I think you do have to stay flexible, especially if the draft just goes sideways. Like we've all been in those draft rooms where, you know, SP 40 is going at like pick 55 overall. And you're like, what is going on with this pitcher run? I got to adapt. So I think that, yeah, there's kind of a disclaimer on all of these. Uh, tidbits that we're going to give out the rest of the show that like it, it's it's more a general approach than I'm never ever going to break any of this. Yeah, there's right? no uh, kind of like how you have to approach strategies in my first New Year's resolution. There's no it's not one size it's not one size fits all sort of thing, right? Uh, it, the 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 rules are made to be bent and broken, um, and you need to adapt. There's no. If there was a textbook play for everything, fantasy baseball wouldn't be that fun, right? Uh, we have to adapt and adjust accordingly, and certain things are going to happen that aren't expected. You know, a guy that you want is going to go one pick or two picks before you, you go. Um, you know, that can completely change strategies that you have to adjust to on the fly. So, you know, there's, nothing here is going to solve every single person's problem or, or, or exact scenario. It's just more of a, a generalization. Um, and I think mm-hmm. more broader ideas. And I think that, you know, my first new year's resolution is, is kind of encapsulating that. Like you have to be open yeah. to, to several different ideas and things that could happen depending on what goes on in your draft or, or auction or whatever. Yeah, it's a great point. And I think just one final thought on it is, the more specific your, I guess, your approach or a tactic, let's call it that. I'm thinking last year, Steve, where we were kind of saying, um, you know, we can wait, or at least I was saying, like, I can wait on first base, not to rehash this, because I love that Joey Votto is at pick 150. That's a very specific tactic yep. and approach, and you are hitching your wagon uh-huh. to Votto being available, even at 135. Votto being good. yeah. Votto being good. Yeah. And the more the more specific a tactic is like that, the more important it is to have a backup uh-huh. plan. Like, I, I, I remember a few years back, and it sounds absurd, but it was actually really useful for me. I actually did, like, a draft tree on an Excel spreadsheet. Each sheet had, like, a different start to my draft or a different – you know, it was like pick nine in the first round. And I was like, well, I don't know if a pitcher is going to fall to me or a shortstop and kind of play out some of those dependencies and not just in the first round. But if you're like, you know, I want to wait on pitching. Well, you better have a contingency plan if pitching is is getting pushed up drastically in your draft. So things like that, I think, kind of fit into what you're saying of, you know, on one side, be open, but on the other side, uh, you know, be be ready to know what your next move is if if uh, something abnormal happens. So a um, little more dialed in with, with this one for my first one, Steve, and it, it goes right back to our conversations a couple months ago on lessons learned. And you brought up a good good point that a lot of my bold predictions and chalkboard guys 
were second half performers from the previous year. So it was like a Yasmani Grandal or a Blake Snell, uh, Votto, people like that. And there were some stories beneath the surface of what might have led to that breakout. But the numbers were more so the production rather than some of the underlying things that were changing. So uh, that's kind of my New Year's resolution is don't buy second halves without good reason. So basically just do the the due diligence of looking at the underlying numbers, make sure that nothing looks too out of left field before you circle it as something that you can expect going forward. So a couple examples I, I kind of jotted down on the notes, but for hitters, looking at a couple guys like Anthony Santander and Hunter Renfro, who both had really good second halves. They were like top five in homers. Santander had 18 homers. Renfro had 16 and Renfro hit 266 batting average, where Santander was 24 points below that at 242. So on the surface, you might say like, man, Renfro, better second half than Sant- Santander, and he's going 15, 20 picks later from ADP 135 for Santander versus Renfro 153. Beneath the surface, Santander's hard hit rate was 19th in the league in the second half. Renfro's was 53rd. So hitting the ball a lot harder. The BABIP also told two different stories where Renfro had a 289 BABIP. Santander had a 238 BABIP. So just things like that start to spell out, you know, they start to formulate an opinion of, you know, maybe I do like Santander a little bit more, but more so than that specific example is the idea that like when you see it, make sure you dig deeper. I was doing a similar exercise just on the fly for Zach Gallen and Blake Snell, who both had elite second halves. And while Gallen has a lot more volume, and that's part of what makes him ADP 74 versus Snell, which is like ADP 122, there were also things about Gallen's breakout that don't look fully sustainable, like a 218 BABIP, 83% left on base rate, uh, 5.6% home run to fly ball rate. So this isn't to say that I'm not interested in Gallon. I think that even could be a SP1 type of option. I kind of like that 74 ADP. But again, my my process New Year's resolution is to not just look at kind of those splits and stop there and to, to take a closer look and, and just kind of dig in on it. But uh, open it up, see if you have thoughts, questions there, or I know we were talking about some guys. Um, any reaction on some of those some of those players too? Um, I, I think it's it's a it's a great topic to talk about. I think it's talked about a lot. I know Paul Spore over at Fangraphs has mentioned a lot that second half splits are tricky. It's it's an arbitrary point in the middle of the season where you know the sample size in the second half just naturally is smaller, just because the the All Star Game is usually beyond the actual halfway point of the season, um, and it's easy to get caught up in noise. Um, when just looking at a second half split, um, I know last year I, I did the exact same thing and, and, and wrote an article about second half starting pitchers to target. But, you know, I, I think a reason why that article highlighted a lot of guys like Sandy Alcantara, like Dylan Cease, was because of what you said, looking for reasons why the second half or, or whatever period you're looking at was better than 
a period in the past, right? Like, you know, for, for Dylan Cease, the slider took off in the second half last year, and that led to, you know, a really impressive second half and carried over in, in, into into the into the, the 2022 season. Um, you know, same thing for Sandy Alcantara. Like, he had that insane stretch, right, where, um, you know, he started, um, you know, just limiting his walks basically completely, um, started striking guys out, out more, um, you know, using his sinker more, um, things like that. So there needs to be a reason to buy into, you know, any period, not just a second half split that you look into. Um, and, you know, like you said, like, I think that the Santander Renfro article or comparison is, a uh, is, is great, right? Like, Sure, you could say, okay, I'd rather have Renfro. He had a higher average, but you know, you dig deep and you say, okay, maybe there was some more sustainable stuff, despite you know a two sixty six average in a relatively small sample size. Um, it looks like Renfro's skills were underlying skills were better, and you know things like that can be used from there to make you know more informed decisions. I think that there needs to be a reason why, right? Like it's one of the, like the first things that I always try to identify uh, in, in fantasy. Like, is there a reason why this guy slumped? Was he hurt? Was there you know an injury that he was hiding? Um, was there a, a, a breakdown in his mechanics in his swing or or or, or um, you know um, wind up or whatever for a pitcher? Um, like if you identify a why, uh, that that's a lot more useful than just looking at su- surface stats, especially in smaller samples. Yeah, for sure, and I think um, that goes to the, you know, the similar point that Renfro did the same thing in twenty one, where he had a an OPS jump about a hundred points in the second half in twenty one, did something really similar this past year, and then you start to formulate a picture whether or not it's fair of like a guy like Anthony Rizzo or we talked about Dozier of like guys who start slow and maybe Renfro is a guy who starts slow and it doesn't mean that he's going to be a 35 homer 270 hitter next year it's probably more a combination of his two splits whereas Gallon and Snell it is kind of interesting because running the numbers on those guys Basically, at that midway point of the season, Gallon completely ramped up his curveball, which is his best whiff pitch, and Snell did the same with the slider um, and pretty much ditched the the change by the end of the year. was down to like 2%. Um, So having said that, Snell did the same thing this past year, so it's kind of that Renfro story of like, do you you buy it? Um, And and zooming out, I think that's the the final note I had, Mm -hmm. and I've been kind of talking up Snell this whole offseason because I still think that potential outcome, we've seen him be a Cy Young, and that potential outcome at ADP 122 is still enticing to me, but not just looking at what he did in the second half and being like, oh, well, you know, he should be 160 innings with 220 strikeouts because when you do look at the back of the baseball card, he's only thrown 130 innings once in his entire career. Uh, and it was that Cy Young season when he got up to like 180. But it's, again, a good point of like, don't just stop at the splits. So that's, yeah. That's yeah, just and there's more. a track record for Snell of, you know, half those innings have been a lot worse than another half. He's been, uh, he's been, he's he, he's done 2022 before, right? 
Um, essentially, same thing in 2021, which led to a lot of people liking him. Um, but, you know, it, it's part of who he is uh, at this point, right? Yeah. So I mean, so it seems. We'll, we'll, we'll see if conventional wisdom can. Uh, with can him, break uh, we've talked now. about it before, but if that change ups back, like, it's going to be more of the same. If it's not, then maybe there could be a, a longer stretch here of, uh, of good Blake Snell. Where would you throw the over-under on his ERA, Steve? Because last year, even with what was, what was, it, what was his mixer, What was his ERA last year? Uh, 338. 338. But it was only 128 innings. He had the mm-hmm. injury at the, the start like, of the year. And, like, I remember I rostered him in, in one of my keeper leagues uh, basically all year. Like, well into July, that was above four, if, if I remember that correctly. Um, oh, yeah. He was a nightmare in, like, yeah. May, yeah. June. Like, I was going to say, like, 375. Like, yeah. Just because, you know, if that insane stretch wasn't a 219 ERA, if it was a 320 ERA, which is a really good uh, second half, that that w- the the overall line would have been a lot closer to that. So I think mm-hmm. that I, I like, and that's not me not liking Snell. I like Snell. Like, he could be a very valuable pitcher if he has a 375 ERA with all the strikeouts and, you know, um, good ratios and things like that. Um but it's it just, you know, it's it's too volatile basically from month to month to to say, okay, I'm confident that Snell's going to have a three three ERA again. Yeah, for sure. Okay, we got more on the way, but first we are going to take a quick ad break, and we'll be right back. All right, Steve, back to you on a New Year's resolution here. Let's let's hear what we got. Um, I tagged along to yours here because I think it's kind of the, the same thing. Yeah, yeah, um, let's do it. Yours was, you know, bet on youth slash talent at the right price. And mine is, you know, be smarter uh, with upside plays. And in parentheses, mostly take them later, right? Like the biggest, um, and, and, you know, this is a hindsight 2020 thing. And I know that there was a lot that went on once it found out that he was going to make the open day roster. But like the best example was, you know, draft Julio Rodriguez at pick 250. Don't draft Bobby Witt at pick 50 or wherever they were going at in, in the middle of, you know, March last year. I know things changed and Julio shot up the board once he had an amazing spring and found out he was going to make the team. But mm-hmm. I, I, and this one is going to be hard for me to to practice, to practice what I preach, because, you know, me, I, I love those shiny new t- toys. I, I, you know, I, I love what O'Neill Cruz did in in. In September, uh, you know, I was all in and hitched my wagon to Jared Kelnick. I'm so, I somehow still bought a Rotowear T-shirt that I'm still wearing right now, even though uh, you know it, it's probably embarrassing to be out in, in in public with with how his last two years have gone wearing this. But it, it, it just it, it's you know the the the, vo- the Ariel Cohen voice, the Ian Khan impression, and Ariel Cohen's real voice in my head is just saying the value is not there. And, and maybe, you know, as I'm getting older and becoming like more risk averse and but there's a reason why, like, you know, you, you kind of have to play the boring chalk picks because they have a much lower bust rate. Um, mm-hmm. the, the value just is not there. You need these guys to hit like you need, like as good as Bobby Witt was last year, like, the average still wasn't great. Like, you know, it wasn't, a, a, you know, 
uh, the, I know the steals has sort of buoyed the value, but you know, in a five by five, it, how how much how valuable was Bobby Witt? Because you know, I, like Nick Pollock said on on all those mock draft recaps, right? It's just it's just one category, right? That you know, thirty steals is what one and a half steals a week. That's not even a guaranteed win, um, right? In the category, so it, it, it's just. You need a lot to 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 hit for these sort of shiny young new toys to to be valuable. And the more I think about it, it's just not worth the price. Like, all right, you know, if if Kelnick did blow up in the you know when I drafted him in the ninth round and you know in in twenty twenty one, great. Um, part of the reason is that I, I kind of want to be that guy who has him and identified him. It's cool to be the person in your draft room that that found this super value and has the the prospect that that hit but it's not really worth like those sort of bragging rights uh just because it kind of <laughs> is a is a coin flip it's funny because i think we're like you and i having spent two years together now steve are kind of meeting in the middle because when yeah. i started i was very much the old man squad where i was only drafting kind of the the oatmeal crusty old vets in the early rounds and now i i've kind of begin to head your direction of like looking for players on the ascent because and i think wit is is a good example where like last year i think his adp was around 90 and then it might have been climbing Mm -hmm. you know near the end of draft season into like the 70s or something and now he's at pick seven overall so it's like just looking at the draft board now you know, Bobby Witt, skip it. Um, you know, as, as you scroll down, some of the other, I guess, unproven or young risk picks might include like Spencer Strider, Michael Harris II. I think those are so early in the top 30 that I would be in agreement there. I think we both would be. But then there are some like, there have been some success stories, I would say more in the past couple years than five years ago where we are starting to see those really toolsy raw players pop and be really mm-hmm. valuable. And I know it's a, a bad example because of the, the injury. Um, but I think that jazz Chisholm is a good example of like, absolutely, man, if he stayed healthy, he was kind of tracking to like a Tatis level ascent. He and, was and the guy that you missed if you were steadfast to this strategy. Yeah. Yeah. And, and maybe just live with it. But I guess like, you, you keep going down the chart, right? And it's like Corbin Carroll, ADP 64. Watching his highlights, man, it's like tantalizing speed, mm-hmm. turning like doubles into triples, all that stuff. You know, you got to – I'm not – I'm throwing his projections out the window, which is like 20 steals or something. I think he's got every shot at getting like 35-40. But is there a spot in the draft that you feel – like it, it almost flips a switch and you're like, okay, at pick 90, I'm willing to start taking those shots or is it not that precise of a, of a mechanism? I don't think it's precise, but the later, the better. Um, especially like for me where I'm sort of loading up on pitchers around pick a hundred to, to 150. So I can't really afford to take those shots earlier. Right. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, maybe in that pitcher run, that's when I will start to, to sprinkle in, you know, guys that you have listed here, like, sure, like, like Vinny P, like at ADP 89. Who knows if that's going to shoot up, though? Um, but kind of the, the, the later, 
the better for me uh, at this point. Like like you said here, like I'm probably going to miss out uh, on O'Neill Cruz this year just because uh, it's going to be too t- too expensive for my taste. I am going to miss out on Bobby Wood 100%. Um, I don't know if you have his page up, but give me a guess on what you – and, you know, it, it, it's kind of a loaded question because I, I wouldn't be asking it if it wasn't surprising, but – Give me a guess on Bobby Witt's OPS and then his WRC plus. This past year or yes, projected? This past year from twenty twenty two. Oh, OPS. Um, I mean, he wasn't a huge power guy. Maybe like a, a seven seven eighty five WRC plus one thirty. He had a seven twenty two OPS and a ninety nine WRC plus. He was one percent worse than the average with the bat alone. I know it doesn't count for steals. Oh, so he had thirty wow. of them, but yeah. you know, uh, didn't didn't walk that much. Just four percent of the time. Uh, mm-hmm. Twenty homers. Um, you know, OBP less than three hundred. Um, Four twenty eight slug. So uh, you know, th- there there's. A lot of growth to be asking for, uh, you know, ADP seven for Bobby Wood Jr. I know the the twenty thirty is enticing, and yeah, he's just twenty two years old, so that's super impressive. Um, and I'm sure he will get better, but I'll let someone else find out this year. Yeah, this is kind of a, a sidetrack, but one like you hear different things in the off season, right? And it's like. You have to you have to choose whether or not you believe it and you buy into it as you go into your drafts and, and management and everything. And the ones that I'm kind of not as keen on that I've heard are like stealing bases is mainly going to help guys who get like in the teens. I I think guys that get 25 steals will still benefit from bigger bases. I also don't know that I buy into that that school of thinking that you mentioned where I know Nick had talked about it a lot of like. He said it for average, but also for for speed of like, yeah, it might be one steal a week. But to me, that's like we still value homers a lot at like 30 homers or 35 homers. So like to get a guy who who can run 35 times, like I I still see value there. I mean, it might not be as scarce as it was before, so that can change a little bit. Um, But the the one that I am a little bit more buying in on is – and I forget somebody from the pitcherless group when we were doing the draft had brought it up, and it's a great point. So I don't know if it was Schwebzy or what, but you actually don't want a high walk rate if they're a help to your average. And I think that's something that I've never really thought about too much. And in fact, most of my other leagues, kind of like home leagues and keeper leagues that I have account for like OBP and plate discipline, so I typically do look at like a Vinny Pasquantino, somebody with a high walk rate is like a huge value boost. But if that steals a lot of your hits, like we talked about with like Juan Soto, that is a pretty big factor in my opinion for five by five. So it's not on our list here, but I think that is something that I want to pay attention to of like, if they're a plus on batting average, go look at the walk rate because a 5% walk rate is probably going to help your batting average more than you know, a 13% walk rate. Um, so kind of a side rant there, but I think it's it's always interesting to hear kind of the newfound narratives and, and, you know, you try to challenge them to just make sure you're not chalking it up to groupthink. You know what I mean? Yeah, uh, it's a good point. I think Nick 
Pollock might have brought it up. Uh, he brought it up at least on my podcast just because I took Juan Soto uh, with whatever, like the 10th pick of wh- where I was uh, uh, in that 5x5 five five mock draft. Um, but And again, it's a small sample. It's only been three full seasons for Juan Soto. But his career high for hits is 157. So for a That's guy crazy. that you know he hit uh, 313 that year, right? Um, he had just 157 hits just because he walked 22% of the time. So, yeah, it's a good point. Yeah. Um, so anything else to note on this uh, bet on youth talent at the right price? I think we talked through some, some good names yeah. there. But, yeah, like at the end of the draft, obviously, that's where I think we're we're all in agreement mm-hmm. that that's where you want to take mm-hmm. your, your shots. So. Even after pick 10, you know, those guys are droppable the 10th 10th round uh uh those guys are more droppable than 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 you than you would think so uh take your shots then yep love it well let's go back to you steve because i think we both kind of hit on that one but i love your your next one i think there's good kind of general discussion points with um this is more for you know like nfbc and you know non-daily leagues um leagues with shorter bench but it's have a plan for your bench um the On The Wire guys just did a full episode on this. I think it was called Building a Bench. I think it was last week's episode, so um, the, the week of you know Christmas, like the 25th. Um, but it's be strategic with, with your bench. Um, I have been a victim of not following this strategy plenty of times in the past. I kind of just filled my bench with guys that I like, guys that... You know, I, I think could be value, but I think there needs to be a lot, a lot of strategy that goes on to um, building a bench. Um, I totally think, like. I, I always just grab upside yep. and mm-hmm. like names that could Same. pop, but then you're like, wait, I have one backup shortstop and like a 50, 50 draft and hold type of thing. Like you need a plan for starters. You need a plan for you know if you need a backup catcher, um, a guy that maybe has multiple position eligibility. Um, you know, uh, I'll bring his name up again, but Ian Khan talked a lot about last year in the main event. Um, he won his main event league and was in competition for the overall, I think finished like fourth or fifth or, or maybe even better. But he talked about a big strategy that, that, that helped him be successful was the fact that he did not need to stream all year. He did not want to spend any of his budget on streaming, didn't add like weekly streamers, two, three dollars here. And, you know, he had a deep enough pitching staff with like, you know, team streamers that Paul Sporer likes to call them guys that are good enough to be on your team, but you only start them in weeks where they have good matchups. Um, so things like that, like there, there's several different ways to build them. There's, there's different strategies, but you know, there's, you know, how valuable is it to have like a high upside reliever that, doesn't get saves it only pitches one or two innings a week right uh, on your bench or you know if it's full of bench hitters that you aren't going to start in most weeks like right that's not a, a good use of your bench so have a plan for your bench um, I am definitely going to in all of my NFBC leagues or, or weekly leagues this year so um, I think it's something that gets overlooked just because like you said it's, hey it's my bench let's just take a, an upside guy here but there's a lot of value and a lot of use that you could put to that. Uh, and I would definitely recommend listening to Adam Howe and Kevin Hastings on uh, how to build a bench uh, on the On The Wire episode that came out last week. It's interesting too, Steve, because I feel like that point of having a plan for your bench kind of wrestles with our previous point of like, look for upside later. 
because on one hand you want some potentially like stability, some playing time. On the other hand, we're saying, you know, go for the guys who are boom bust. Like, how do you reconcile that? Do you think it's like the sweet spot is upside, but playing time assured, or, you know, is there a place to grab kind of a, you know, one round you grab an oatmeal guy, the next round you grab, you know, like a, I'm thinking like a, Marcus Stroman and then like uh, Hunter Brown or something like that. But how, how do you kind of balance that, have a plan for your bench versus go for upside late? I think it's a totally different beast in NFBC and these weekly leagues with shorter benches and no IL slots, right? Like, because you can kind of take shots with your util, your MI, your CI, and then keep that in mind when you're building your bench. Like, right, okay, if you took like, I don't know, um, O'Neal Cruz and Vaughn Grisham as like your shortstop MI, like, which is obviously extremely risky. Like, make sure you have your, a util guy who could slot into those spots who are more oatmeal-y on your bench, right? Like that's part of building your bench and and having a strategy, like, right? Like, you know, uh, obviously I think that's too risky of, of a example to, to take, but you know, that's an extreme, um, example, right? So, um, so I be think very I, mindful yeah, yeah, of be kind mindful of, your, of what your strengths. Yeah, 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 yeah. exactly, exactly. Yeah, that, that that makes total sense. Okay, we got a few more of these, and then we can possibly just open it up and talk about some names. Uh, kind of the more fun part of the New Year's resolution, Steve. But first, we are going to take another quick ad break, and we'll be right back. Okay, so Steve, uh, last ones I I kind of had listed out here. And this one goes back to your opening comment of don't have too specific of a plan. So take this with a grain of salt. But what I've jotted down here is wait until pick 50 for my SP1. And I think a big part of that is just how loaded the bats are at the front of the draft and how there's a lot of tiers that I can kind of see early on. Um, We've talked about how the first like 17 or 18 picks it would be amazing to kind of double up on two all-star bats. And then, you know, after that is when pitchers tend to go. But it's such a glob of aces, which is crazy to say. We've never said it in years past. But it really is that now I kind of look at that sweet spot from like pick 50 to 85. And I see names like Rodon, like starting with Rodon and, and moving all the way down the line, it's like Julio Arias, Zach Wheeler, Max Scherzer, uh, Bieber's in there, Kevin Gossman I really like, um, you know, Luis Castillo, who changed up a lot of stuff last year and, and looked really great with the Mariners. Uh, <laughs> it keeps going. I mean, I love Christian Javier, Zach Gallen we talked about, Joe Musgrove and you Darvish are there. To me, that just seems like to, to, to grab one of those guys at like 65-70 versus someone at like pick 25 to me it's it's just such a better way to approach the draft and again I'm not saying I'll never grab a pitcher like if a Spencer Strider is there at pick 49 maybe Mm -hmm. I will take him on that draft but this type of approach I haven't really done a hard line in the past and tried it and I think this is the season where the draft board kind of agrees with this approach of, of bats early but I know you've kind of lived that strategy the past few years. What are your thoughts on kind of that that range for an ace? You, you don't have to, you know, 
preach me on this. Like, even though I'm, I'm saying, you know, don't be a slave to your, uh, to your rules or, or make anything that's written in stone, anything like that. But there are pictures to be identified. And I think if you do your homework and, and, and see where ADP sort of shakes and, and identify a picture around that range, like you're going to have a good SP one. Um, you know, uh, it, it also might not make you the best staff because if people double up on aces, right, like you might need to alter it there. Maybe you need to bump it up to pick 40 and then get another one at pick 60, right, to sort of keep pace with your league. That's sort of something that I, I think I need to be more mindful of and, and, and sort of that's a tweak that I would make, right? Like just because, mm-hmm. just because you know, I, was, I, I picked Shane McClanahan in my home league as my first pitcher, right, um, at, at pick whatever 90 last year or wherever he was going 70 doesn't mean that I'm I'm ahead of the game because you know some team could have you know um I don't know uh Gaussman and Rodon right and they have a better one two than my one two right like you still need to build out a staff of you know five six starting pitchers right um so it's just something that I still like overall in theory in general waiting on, on an ace, but uh, I'll be more flexible in in how I do it uh, going forward. Yeah, that makes sense. I I know Pollock's got the, uh, the approach of four for floor with the SPs. And Mm -hmm. I do think that that's a a good approach. And then the rest, uh, I don't know. He doesn't have a he doesn't have a rhyme for the rest. The rest <laughs> I'm sure. I'm sure he does. I'm sure he has the rest a, for uh, the best. The rest uh, in the nest. A, you know. A, then you a just cringe, a cringy rhyme or uh, uh, yeah. acronym for it. Yeah. <laughs> uh, and then the final one I had is really you can sense the frustration on personal experience, but it's to be an adult when it comes to drafting catchers. In past years, I've gone from I'll just slap Mike Zunino at it in the you know, mid two hundreds. And then I've gone completely the other direction, getting like real Mutos and Yasmani Grandals and Will Smith's and, and maybe investing too high in catchers. And now I think again, the draft board is finally setting up to where it doesn't have to be one extreme or another. And when I look in the middle of the, that tier, Kyle Raleigh and especially William Contreras, who I think you were big on last year, mm-hmm. but I've been digging into a few like underlying stats, not looking for a catcher, just looking at, you know, some hard hit rates, blast rates from Alex Chamberlain's site, all that's or his leaderboard on Tableau. And William Contreras' name keeps popping up. And I think in Milwaukee it's a it's a nice little landing spot. So I think Contreras and Raleigh in like the late mid to late one hundreds seems like a range that I'd be pretty happy with on drafts. Now, again, hitching your strategy to two guys being available could be pretty risky. So you need to have a backup plan. But I think my point is like, I'm not going to be the last one in the room or the first one to draft catcher this year. And that will be new for me, but I'm just tired of getting burnt by the position. I am one of my buddies in my home league always talks about it. Uh, Shout out to Rich. Um, but he talks about being on the catcher carousel, basically adding a catcher for a week, you know, uh, catching him on the tail end of a hot streak, then 
you know, finding a new one and you're just constantly on the catcher carousel. Um, that is not a place I want to be. I am with you, uh, especially in single catcher leagues. In my home league, I want a good catcher, and I might have to pay up a price that I'm not normally used to paying. Maybe that is William Contreras because, you know, uh, StatCats is public data and uh, it looks real nice um, when you go to his page. Uh, same with his pitcher list page, too. Shout out to our pitcher list pages. Be sure to check those out as well. Um, but I am totally with you, man. I want a good catcher no matter sort of what it costs. Maybe, you know, it won't be Adley or Real Muto, but it'll be someone that, uh, you know, I could sort of set and forget um, because being on that catcher carousel is no fun. No, not at all. Uh, now, Steve, the the remainder of the show, I think we're going to open it up and talk a little bit about you know, the positive things that we'd like to do, kind of the bucket list, you know, on New Year's resolution where you're like, you know, I'd like to go skydiving this year. <laughs> I want to work out more. Like what what are our positive New Year's resolutions here um, as it relates to guys that we kind of want? We, and you can take a, a deep dive here or we can just kind of scratch the surface, but hoping we can get into some names of, you know, not bold predictions or chalkboards, but just guys you'd like to roster this year. Uh, I'm going to steal one from uh, last week's guest. Uh, Mendy, Dave Mendelson uh, had a great thread on Twitter um, about Tristan McKenzie um, mm-hmm. and how basically amazing he was in the second half. Here we go, looking at, at second half splits. <laughs> but um, he had a 22, 27.2% strikeout rate of just a 4.9% walk rate uh, for a 22.3% K minus BB, which, you know, uh, that's... Uh, a good stat to look at in small samples. It's it's very predictive, and you know it's the best in season predictor uh, for results. So um, you know the concern about McKenzie sort of always has been uh, the stamina and how he could hold up, and you know just just the frame. But uh, you know in 2021 he had 120 innings, and then he threw 191 innings, not including uh, the playoffs, which I think he got a, a starter or at least one start uh, in, in the playoffs there. So it came probably close to, to 200 innings overall. Um, so that sort of eased con- any concern about, you know, his build. Um, and, and, you know, that was sort of the only thing that was was holding him back. His stuff always looks so good, but, you know, he's sort of this uh, this the, the stick figure kind of guy that makes it look uh, concerning. But, um, you know, the fastball was absolutely elite at a negative 17 run value last year. Uh, the curveball was also really good. Um, and, you know, those are his two most used pitches. So um, that, that, that's uh, uh, a, a really good thing to see. Um, and with that second half that he have, I'll, uh, I'll, I'll steal one from Mendy and, and have a guy of, of Tristan McKenzie, a guy that I, I think – could be sort of a, a, a an ace uh, later at you know SP two or three costs depending on how big the hype train gets with McKenzie there. Yeah, I love it. And in the spirit of what we were talking about at the start, I was trying to pull up some charts on McKenzie as you were talking there, Steve. And like, what's what's interesting is unlike uh, Blake Snell or Zach Gallen. There was not a big pitch mix change no. throughout and, the season, and the slider um, isn't great, right? Uh, which is concerning. Here's but here's here's the silver lining because I, I also 
I actually had Tristan McKenzie on my list as well. So I think we've identified another guy for our, our shared league possibly. But nice. um, the, the velocity on the fastball, especially for a guy as young as him with his frame, um, it actually gained velo throughout the season, which is encouraging with that high of a volume going 191 innings. Sometimes you hear about guys who, you know, they're losing velocity throughout the year. It went the opposite direction where it went up pretty much a full tick since April, from April to September. And then the other thing that's really interesting is the chase rate on his fastball went from pretty much like a around like a 23% average in the first half. In August, it was a 33%, and in September, it was 35%. So getting uh, you know more people chasing on the fastball and also the slider – so I wonder if that was like a location thing, but uh, worth worth a deeper dive at some point. But yeah, I love McKenzie. I think there's all the reasons with his extension and everything to, to be super excited about him. Yeah, looking at the heat chart, I know that's uh, uh, it's a tough game to play because you know it's just it's it's just a amorphous sort of blob thing. But the slider does look like it catches catch a little bit too much of the plate right like you would like to see that more down and away um to hitters uh, to get him to chase and and not really catch too much of the plate but there there is a nice little corner uh you know dark red uh blob on the, on on the corner where it looks like he's aiming but there's also a one that's in the middle of the plate which is which is no good so maybe it's a it's sort of a, a loca- location tweak away from becoming another really good uh, breaking pitch for him, uh, you know, with, with the curve, which is already elite. So uh, I, I'm with you uh, uh, on all that. And, you know, uh, like 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 Spencer Strider has shown, like, um, you know, uh, other guys have shown and, and Nick talks about it all the time, like, you don't need two pit three pitches if the two are absolutely elite, and that's what the fastball and the curveball are. So um, that's sort of enough. Uh, at least it was in twenty twenty two for McKenzie, and who knows with a little bit more improvement and location improvement on the slider, uh, there there could be even more success. Yeah, uh, just some some guys I've kind of been throwing out, Steve. I'm not sure I'm ready to to go full, full like flag plant on these, but some shares I would like. Uh, I talked with Mendy on on the Triple Play podcast a week after he came on, and they were asking about ADP values, and I kind of surprised myself digging into the research, but Jose Altuve at, at ADP 46 with how scarce second base is and just what Altuve's been able to do minus the shortened season Plate skills are so solid. Uh, the speed was actually up last year. His barrel rate was the highest last year since 2019 with the rabbit ball era. And, like, overall, I'm just looking at him next to, like, Jazz Chisholm, which it's short sample size and the injury. Ozzy Albies, we don't really know what that production's going to be. It wasn't good last year. Like, to me, I think Altuve's such a safe bet at that, like, you know, third, fourth round to be done with second base and have a really good shot at like 280, 25 to 30 homers, 12 to 20 steals and great counting stats with the Astros. Like this is one that again, and I actually had him the shortened year. So I was kind of like throwing my arms up. Like, of course the one year I had him, he sucks, all this stuff. 
But I think Altuve is one that I do want some shares of just to remove the headache at second base. Yeah, man. Uh, that, that was a big mistake I had last year. I don't think I had any shares of Jose Altuve. And, like, I was like, all right, why draft Altuve here when I could wait a round or two and get, like, you know, Jonathan India, which how did that work out? Um, and Altuve, uh, I'm pulling it up, but I think it was pretty close to where he went last year, right? Like, there's not much of a increase yeah, on price thing. for how amazing he was uh, last season. Maybe there was a bit of a, a discount just because coming off the— although, no, in, in the short season he wasn't good, but then in 2021 he had 31 homers again. Um, so— uh, sure. Uh, I, I don't think he's going to have a 920 on OPS again, but it'll definitely no. be, you know, uh, at, at least that 840 OPS in 2021, I think, which is still really, really good, and especially for second base. So I'm with you, man. I think it's going to be a, a, a target of mine, too, especially if uh, I want to focus on more of the steady Eddie, old and boring guys. Not that Altuve is boring. He's just, you know, one of the greatest fantasy players of our generation right uh yeah so but um, yeah it's just it, it looks so different from year yeah. to year so i think he's he kind of gets docked because of that as he ages sure. it's kind of like goldschmidt mm-hmm. or something where it's like oh well you know he, he didn't have the speed this year but he did this year it's like at some point you just have to accept that some of those guys are very productive fantasy players you just might not know how much speed versus how much power um, but in general, if you if you remove that bad season, the average is always there, and the counting stats should be there. So yeah, I think I think that's one that's on my list, even though it's not as uh, you know it's not a fan favorite pick with the the Astros and and all that stuff. But uh, yeah, any any other ones you wanted to circle, Steve? I know we'll be talking guys the rest of the off season, but. Um, William Contreras is is a good one that that I that uh, that you brought up there. Um, Another guy that I that I like and 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 could see myself targeting every year. I know obviously everywhere is I, I've I've talked about in the off season. Um, uh, how, how is this? Uh, help me here, Red uh, Nick Lodolo. Um, I, I thought you were going to say Alberto Mondesi. Oh, Alberto, Alberto Mondesi. Say no, no. Uh, <laughs> we'll not be having any shares. I made that mistake in my home league uh, last year, but I think a guy yeah, that Lola. that is is solid for um, innings and upside, and kind of went a little bit under the radar um, is Joe Ryan. I liked him a lot last year, but um, and and had him in quite a few places, but I think it kind of went. Um, you know, uh, a little bit under the radar with how 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 good this guy was. I think there was a stretch in the middle of the season where he wasn't that good, and it sort of looked like he faded. But then in, in September, in August and September, he really picked it up again. He had uh, a 25% strikeout rate, just a 7.8% walk rate, which I think could get better. Like, this guy was all throughout the upper minors, and even in 2021, just this guy that— did not walk anybody and uh, i think that maybe he he walked a few more guys to you know a- avoid giving up home runs it could be something that he's sacrificing a bit but i think it really worked and uh, i think it went a bit under the radar with uh with how good uh joe ryan was uh he has 11.4 percent swing strike rate which you know backs up the the k rate um a 27.3 percent csw 
Um, so there's a lot of stuff to like. Um, he has that deceptive fastball that even though it doesn't have that great velocity, it's a, it's a late release and gets a lot of extension and, and has uh, the appearance of a much harder fastball, even though you, you see the velocity at just 92. Um, it seems a lot harder to, to hit her. So I think that Joe Ryan is sort of this value at pick, you know, 145 that could return, you know, uh, top 40, uh, uh, top 30 uh, pitcher value. Um, so I think that there's a, a nice uh, opportunity there with, with Joe Ryan. Uh, it seems like he could be in innings, innings year two. He had 147 innings in his first full big league season. So that shouldn't be too much of a concern. Yeah, I, I'm in Steve. He was he was one of the he was kind of my parachute pitcher for my pitcherless mock. Nice uh, because I went what was it? C. Strider, Hunter Green, uh, Blake Snell, and I was like, I need somebody who can be a glue piece here, um, and went Ryan. I remember seeing being surprised that his fastball has great swinging, uh, like a swinging strike rate on the fastball. Um, which, like you said, is probably because of the unorthodox delivery. So, yeah, I think it's really good, and it doesn't seem like it's a name that's going to get like pricier in the off season. Um, you know, it's the Twins, and it's not a huge strikeout guy. So, I, I agree. I think he's a really good kind of round out that the top of that rotation that you're not going to drop with some so upside. Like with some one. upside, I think. You know, that's the yeah. that's that's the thing. It's not a. It's not a Marcus Stroman. Like I think there's some, you know, room for, uh, you know, uh, maybe tick up the the strikeout rate a little bit and tick down the walk rate uh, just a, just a hair too. I mean, it was still a, a nine point two four K per nine. I know uh, uh, per nine is not the greatest stat, but um, whenever that's over a strikeout per inning, it, it's nice to see. Yeah, definitely. Um, I just realized that I actually skipped one of my resolutions oh, yeah. here, let's, Steve. Let's, I think uh, we got to jump back. Let's, let's finish up with that. Because I really want your opinion on this, too. And it is to have a better plan for saves, particularly in NFBC, TGFBI leagues. It was the bane of my existence this year. I remember being in like the top three in all pitching categories and then being dead last in saves. And... You know, even trying to like play the game on the wire and and try to find the next guy up and everything, I basically stashed for like months Felix Bautista and then cut him like a week and a half before he ended up getting the role, and it was just like such a headache to deal with. So now I'm trying to put some some specifics behind this and my approaches. Grab one guy in the first nine rounds, which is pretty much a, a good pitcher that has what seems to be a dedicated role, and then grab two more by the end of the draft. Um, I care less about the back part of that, of you know, two more by the end. It depends on like the size of the draft and everything. But how are you going to approach saves? Are you are you fine still following the don't pay for saves strategy, or is this? You know, are you where I'm at that it's like kind of what we were talking about with catcher? Not like, not in, not in an FBC, no, not in in weekly leagues with limited bench. Um, you, I'm, I'm going to need to overpay for them. I don't think I'm going to go for the top 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 tier, but I definitely want someone in like the second tier. Like I want like a Ryan Presley or something like that. Yes. Um, 
So it's just, especially, you know, you need at least, at least one person that has a job, maybe a back end one with a job. And then I would want to, uh, you know, have like, like, a, like, you know, a high skill guy that, you know, could be useful at least in the first few weeks of the season. Hopefully he can get the role early, but that plays into the other new year resolution with the plan for a bench. Like, you know, if you get unfortunate injury luck, like the first guy you're going to cut is a stashed Felix Batista. And that might be a week before he gets the job, you know? So it makes it even more, more important to draft sort of role. Um, you know, with, with skill, I know that, you know, there's the whole draft skills, not role, Ron Chandler, baseball HQ thing, but in an FBC that that's a lot different. Um, you know, leagues with daily moves, uh, I'm not going to do this. Um, I'm more confident in, you know, playing the wire and doing a quick shuffle where I have, you know, say seven ads a week or whatever. Um, and it's a first come first serve or something like that. Um, yep. or even daily waivers, but in NFPC where it's only weekly, um, I do not want to be having to basically waste fab and, and it's think so about, yeah, exactly. Dude, dude. It's so expensive. It's so expensive. Like I remember, you know, I got like, I don't know, uh, I, I got a few closers, uh, last year that I basically had all year, but it costs two, 300 bucks, uh, uh, of my budget. I don't know. I think it was like David Robertson or something like that, that was mostly a closer for the full year and was still really good. But there goes 20% of my budget where, you know, had I just, you know, paid up a few rounds, I could have had a, a closer role and not had to worry about that in fab. So it's twofold, right? Because you don't have to do that. You don't have to spend all your, and you know, you could, you could use that money elsewhere, um, which is really important too. Yeah, I, I, I'm in lockstep with you on kind of that range to like basically the, the back half of skill with a role. Mm-hmm. So like Camilo Duvall all the way to like, I don't know, maybe um, Clay Holmes with the Yankees, mm-hmm. something like that, which is like pick 80 to 120, like somewhere in there, I think I would feel... You know, you're not going to enjoy the pick. No, it's going to stink who you're passing up yes, on. It's going to stink. You're passing up it's, on It's your medicine. Talent. It's your medicine. You got to take it. Is, but you got to be a, be an adult yeah. with catcher and with relievers is a New Year's resolution. Yeah. So ending the show with a little discipline. But, Steve, are you guys uh, going to be able to raise a glass on New Year's or hopefully not a glass of uh, medicine? I, 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 doubt we'll be, I doubt we'll even be up for it. But, you know, we're going to have a, a low-key uh new year's here with the fam so uh very much looking forward to it uh we have a nice tradition on new year's day lauren's uh cousin uh has a shop that sells italian hot dogs um it's another sort of jersey thing that uh, i i wish it was at, at my wedding you got to experience it at the after party whatever but, sandwich uh, i had was the best thing ever yeah 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 it, it's something similar to that it it's the best thing ever of course sort of sandwich nice. so we do that on new year's day which is nice Shout out, shout out Jimmy Buffs. Nice. And uh, yeah, next time we talk, Steve, in a, in a couple of weeks, maybe we'll have a guest on. We're going to be getting real dialed. Oh, yeah. In I'll, have a, draft I'll have a draft to talk about. Um, it'll be in processing. It's a slow draft. So, um, but have to jump into for yeah. a little, little content yeah. alignment there. But yeah, man, that'll be year three of crazy. Of yeah, yeah. I got a today actually recording this on Thursday. It was our it's our Twitter anniversary. So I think we've been on Twitter what now? Uh, we would have made it three years ago, right? Crazy. 
So we actually we launched in 2019. Uh, oh no, uh, no, 2020. So two like years, December two years, two years, two years. Yeah, oh. going into year three. Yeah, so it was December 2020. We we launched. Love it. Yeah. All right, man. Well, we we thank all of you guys for tuning in, uh, especially this time of year. I hope you guys had a great holiday season, uh, wherever, however you celebrate, and definitely for the New Year's. Sending some good vibes your way for fantasy season. But thanks for hanging in with us, and we will talk with you guys in a couple weeks. Thanks for listening, guys. Happy New Year.